Welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. Fresh off of Talk the Thrones, The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies. Immediately after each episode, The Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes will be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there will be a special season two preview airing on Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for Big Little Live every Sunday on Twitter. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Recapables Billions on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, Allison Herman, and I am joined today by fellow Ringer staff writer and professional Wendy Rhodes enthusiast, Kate Nibbs. Hello, I do love me some Maggie Sish. Yeah, I guess love is maybe too strong a word for your feelings for Wendy, but I think you are a great guest to have on the show at this pivotal Wendy juncture in this season, really, because you wrote an excellent piece for The Ringer last year that we will link to in our show notes called Wendy Rhodes is the Most Villainous Villain on Billions, which <laughs> I did is a tough title. Okay, but I meant that as a compliment. I want to say, first and foremost, I do love Wendy. I think she is probably the most well-developed character in the show. I've had mixed feelings about this season in general, but I've really loved that it's been a showcase for her character and I didn't mean like she's a cartoonish villain. It's just that she's so good at manipulating the men who are positioned as as the ultimate manipulators themselves on the show that I think she's a little more sly than she had been portrayed in seasons past. And now she's like finally confronting the fact that she's like really, really manipulative. So it's been interesting to see her um, like sort of emotionally confront the fact that she isn't this this like angelic therapist character that she'd been sort of putting herself off as for for the first few seasons. Yeah, it's interesting. Like her argument this episode is that her patients are not actually patients, they're clients, which she takes some umbrage to and she clearly values this title of doctor. But it's totally true. Like one of the things you point out in your piece is that her job is not to make these people psychologically healthy. It's to make them financially valuable. One of the reasons I like Wendy is because just the role of a performance coach in a finance company is a fascinating one. And the the way that she sort of makes herself into the person pulling the strings is is really fascinating to me. And, and like, I'm happy that the show is finally <laughs> acknowledging the fact that it is not some admirable thing to push a bunch of emotionally vulnerable people into being better capitalists. Yeah, and I don't know if the show had ever made this explicit before, but I believe last episode she says that she's technically the head of HR. Yeah, I was laughing at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an offhand revelation, but it's so funny if you just think for two seconds about any of the things Wendy does, although maybe it's a commentary on how HR is frequently an advocate for the workplace and not the workers. Stay woke, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I think that must be it. So before we delve any further into this episode of Billions, which we should say is called New Year's Day, it was co-written by showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine and directed by Adam Bernstein. We should just do a brief plot recap, which I have taken it upon myself to write down. It is, as always, very long and complicated, but I'm going to do my best to spit it out so we can just dive right in for the rest of the episode. So without further ado, here is my closest synopsis of what happened. 
Wendy's medical board hearing looms, so the whole gang comes in on New Year's Day to prep. The plan is to argue that Wendy's patients are actually clients, which may open her up to subpoenas, but they'll worry about that later. Chuck is there, too, but his attentions are divided, as they always are, between Wendy and his father. He's taken the liberty of negotiating a deal on her behalf, and Wendy is not pleased. Axe doesn't want to pay the taxes on his own Art Basel buying spree or lose the department store of his girlfriend's dreams, so he takes out his frustrations on his entire workforce, who he forces to come in on a holiday. Wags is off his game because a 22-year-old stole his watch, so Wendy calls in a professional cuddler. Taylor's budding romance starts to get in the way of their office dynamics, which may have something to do with their surprising decision to let Wendy off the hook on the eve of the hearing. Finally, Connerty's new wiretap of the Rhodes residence runs up against some legal barriers. With some egging on from his new performance coach, he decides to go full outlaw and have his deadbeat brother crack Chuck Sr.'s safe. Woo! So that was like seven different subplots, but... <laughs> yes. In the interest of going from being very verbose to being very succinct, Kate, was what was your tweet-length review of this episode of Billions? My tweet-length review is that this was a classic preparing for the big showdown episode of television with a weird amount of cuddling. Yeah, also calling it cuddling seems <laughs> awkward and extreme and makes me very uncomfortable, but we will touch on that soon enough. Mm-hmm. My tweet-length review is just that 24-hour bottle episodes are only slightly below cold open flash-forward episodes on my billion structural fun power rankings. This is just a show that loves to, you know, do a really flashy, like, here's a thing that happens 48 hours earlier, and this is a—it's— called New Year's Day. It opens with U2's New Year's Day. It is set on New Year's Day, but like so much can happen in a day, especially on this show. I suppose we shouldn't knock a show called Billions about billionaires for being too on the nose because it's just what it does, you know, and it does it well. Yeah, this is true. None of us go to Billions for subtlety. So truth in advertising is more like what we're in for. So of all the things that happen this episode, it's a tough episode for a lot of people, especially Wendy, as we noted the medical board hearing that will potentially result in her losing her license because she used private medical information about Taylor to attack them in a professional sense. There are some winners, not a lot, but there are some. So Kate, who was your MVP of the episode? So I I agree there wasn't a super obvious MVP, but I'm going to give it to X because this isn't in general, the most monumental episode for him in any way, except there is this weird sort of subplot going on where I think they're starting to point to an Axe and Wendy romance. And that would be good for Axe because she's like way better than Rebecca Cantu, who I'm not really into. Wow, um, that is rude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very into Rebecca Cantu. I think she might be a little too good for Axe and Wendy is more like on his level morality-wise. I feel like if they do go for an Axe and Wendy romance, it's going to give me flashbacks to, oh shoot, who is the like psychologist doctor um, in Mad Men who he pushes aside from Dr. Megan? Dr. Faye, yes. Dr. Faye, yeah. I feel like they're setting Rebecca Cantu up to be like the Dr. Faye who would be the responsible partner that's actually good for him, but he's going to go a different direction. Mad Men, also Maggie Sif's alma mater, so yes. doubly resonant there. When I first discovered the magic of Sif. Yeah, I'm going to give it to X because I think it would be a coup for him to get Wendy, even though probably not great overall, because he sort of describes to her the moment that he realized that they needed to work together forever. And then she sort of tried to get Chuck to describe to her the moment that he knew he wanted to marry her. Whereas X was able to sort of 
give her a full detailed play-by-play of his mental process of the moment when he realized how much he valued her, Chuck like couldn't even pretend to summon a memory. It made her realize how much X cared about her. Well, and we already know Chuck is almost like mentally checking out of his own marriage after fighting so hard for her earlier in the season to make up for his decision to out their sex life. Mm-hmm. He decides last episode that he actually could have, you know, prevented this hearing and gotten her license restored and made this go away, but he instead wanted to maintain the upper hand on Jock Jeffcoat. And I definitely think that's, like, a little bit of a sort of Damocles, that there's, like, no way Wendy does not find out about that, and that becomes the final dagger in the heart of the Rhodes marriage. But until then, we're seeing these small, you know, Chuck decides to push against her and yell at her after she spent a few episodes holding the decision to out them over him. He's just like, don't give me that. I'm trying to help you, and you're not accepting help, and I'm not going to apologize for that. And Axe, I think, is much more actively invested in keeping Wendy around in a way that is increasingly obvious. It's been sort of jarring how quickly Chuck stopped caring about his wife since he he was desperate to hang on to her just a few episodes ago. It's been it's been a little strange, but I don't know. He's got a lot on his plate. Yeah, he's got a lot on his plate. And if the idea is that the Rhodes marriage is fundamentally strategic and all of a sudden their interests are no longer aligned, I could definitely see Chuck catching on to that. And I also like that the show likes to mess a little bit with the dynamic of, you know, externally she is richer than he is. She is more conventionally attractive than he is. And the show likes to remind us that it actually is a little more equal than that or the power dynamic is a little more complicated than that, which I always appreciate. Definitely. So my vote for an episode with very few real MVP candidates, I think Axe probably qualifies also because he's the most in control. Like, he's not necessarily behaving well, but he has the power to just make everyone around him miserable and dealing with problems that he fundamentally caused by, for example, dropping millions and millions of dollars on priceless paintings at Art Basel Miami Beach. Um, Or maybe the Switzerland one. I don't think it's clarified in the episode. But my MVP was just all the Axe Cap employees who showed up when they were asked, except for Ben Kim, who goes in voluntarily every year. Bless Ben Kim. (laughs) But they eventually get to go home when Axe gets over his power trip because Wendy talks him off the ledge. And so just we get great moments for Dollar Bill and for Bonnie, who's just having an incredible season. And then they all get to, like, have their moment in the sun, and then they get to go away and actually enjoy their vacations. Yeah, I think that was pretty lucky of them. I do always wonder how—I would like to know more about the dynamics of Dollar Bill's bigamist lifestyle, uh, especially around holidays. (laughs) Like, wouldn't wouldn't it be extra complicated for him to have to go into work, considering he's juggling two families on a national holiday? I don't know. This is true, and also— I guess now he is not only two families, but he is a mistress on top of the two families mm-hmm. at work, which just seems—I feel like that would just break me. Just the the calendar alone would not be sustainable. Yeah, I, I, I do not envy him. <laughs> yeah. I also just think the whole billionaires attempting to avoid taxes on completely legitimate purchases that they made in their right mind is just a great, like— They never make a point of it, but it is truly despicable. Just pay the goddamn money. $75 million is nothing to you. It's literally just principle. At one point, he's literally like, I would burn these paintings because I would rather lose money than deal with this shit, which means that, you know, he is willing to spend money in some circumstances. He just 
doesn't want to pay taxes. Yeah, I appreciate those reminders that these are obviously morally reprehensible people. The, the show slips in here and there. Yeah, it's sort of like Chuck making this big deal over mobile voting and franchise expansion after we know for a fact he engaged in illegal voter suppression to win the primary. <laughs> yeah. It's just great stuff. But, you know, this wasn't a great episode for MVPs, but there are always many candidates for LVP on a show called Billions about people who have no soul. So, Kate, who was your LVP of the episode? Well, there were a few definite frontrunners, but my my pick is X's kids <laughs> who were not in the episode. Yeah, who will never be seen on the show again. Mullen Ackerman has given what is almost certainly her final appearance. Uh, so, yeah, so they're... They're never coming back on screen. But so he, uh, you know, Wendy is so happy that Axe is in the office, even though it's a holiday and he was supposedly on a tropical beachside vacation with his children. Yeah, another and, real point in favor of your Axe-Wendy shipping is mm-hmm. the childlike look of glee on her face when she sees Axe in the office instead of Skyping in from Fiji. Yes, he, she was so psyched. He sort of waves off her concerns that it was so nice of him to come back from Fiji for her. And he is saying, I don't remember his exact words, but he was basically like the kids weren't having fun. Like one of them broke their surfboard or something like that. So we came home. And like, I don't believe that that happened. I'm sure the kids were having a nice time. So they lost either way. It's like, Either he lied and he took his kids home early from a super fun vacation in Fiji, or the kids are so blasé about the luxury that they've grown up in that they were having a shitty time in Fiji. Either way, it's not good for them. Yeah, I'm sure if Billions makes it to season seven, there will be a Axelrod fail son plotline that will (laughs) be truly and epically depressing and the show will just start edging into succession territory. But until then, we get these like little kernels of psychological trauma. And it's like he just already sort of pushed them aside for Rebecca. And now he's pushing them aside even more for Wendy. I just feel bad for them. Yeah. And a real unforced move. I still can't get over that Rebecca was like, I just need you to be more more emotionally available. And he interpreted that to mean I should ship my wife and children to the other side of the country because I can't commit to you or be available until I've just foreclosed every piece of my old life. And that, you know, if he were in a more mature and emotionally healthy place, I don't think that would be necessary. (laughs) No, rich people are not like you and I, though. This is true. So my LVP is just a more straightforward pick. I think it has to be Wendy, who not only is facing the loss of her medical license, but it's clearly getting to her. She's very, very combative in this really entertaining stage hearing that is done in the office with Spiros playing a medical doctor who doesn't know the narcotics are downers. (laughs) Um, Spiros is always just delightfully terrible and is really the true LVP of every episode. But, you know, at one point, the lawyer, Axe's lawyer says, you know, it's not going well. She looks guilty. She's acting guilty. She's acting defensive. And it's because she feels guilty. And I mean, they leave aside the question of it's because she is guilty. But like, It's really getting to her that she committed a breach of trust that she knows she can't fully defend except with, like, legalese that leaves her workplace open to further action down the road. And, you know, Chuck isn't really in her corner. He just negotiates this deal on her behalf, which 
I both understand her objection to, but I also think, like, he's right. She she did it, so she should take the deal. And she's only really spared because Taylor decides not to testify at the hearing after she shows up on Axe's advice and begs for their forgiveness. And this has just been, like, a really hard season all around for her. She was publicly humiliated. She you know, has lost touch with this BDSM relationship that defined the terms of her marriage in a lot of ways. She feels very adrift. She's been, you know, she clearly, as much as Taylor valued the relationship with her, she also valued her relationship with Taylor, and that's coming around full circle for her. And it just feels like we're approaching rock bottom for her. I think it will be very interesting to see how she actually conducts herself in the hearing, which will presumably be next episode. But... Yeah, I just think, like, Wendy is, is not in a good place, and it's definitely a place of her own making, but it's it's a little tough to watch. I like Master Manipulator Wendy. Sad, broken Wendy. My heart goes out to her. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to see her get back on her feet and start scheming again, and maybe that means that she's going to have to reconcile with how unsavory her job is, but— I don't see how she can get much more, like, emotionally down from here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe once the marriage with Chuck is officially done, she can start moving on. Mm -hmm. But we're still waiting for that. I did want to give an honorable mention in this category to poor, poor Mafi, who is concerned he may be committing sexual harassment by asking out this coworker who he doesn't even know is already sleeping with their boss. (laughs) Just an incredibly tough look. Are you busy? You seem busy. Shoot, Muffy. Well, New Year, so I want to be upfront about something. We don't have any specific guidelines, but with things the way they are in the world, would it be okay if I asked an employee out socially? Is it material for us to know? It's Lauren. Mafi, as long as you approach them in a respectful, consensual manner, you are free to socialize with fellow employees who are not your direct subordinates, including Lauren. Cool. Thanks. Not sure I'm gonna. So if you could not say anything. Got it, Mafi. Don't worry. Oh, poor Mafi. Yeah. I also feel like he can't get much lower in terms of, like, being degraded by the women around him. (laughs) I feel really bad that he left Axe Cap and wanted to start his own thing. And then immediately, as soon as the season started, Taylor's just like, you're not in an important decision-making capacity. I've, I've brought on new deputies for that purpose. But what do you think of the newfound romance between Taylor and Lauren, their investor relations guru? It's interesting to me because it just seems a little bit out of character for Taylor because they tend to be very rigid about relationships and making sure everything's on even footing and like there is an inherent power imbalance here and you know of all the characters like I wouldn't have necessarily expected Taylor to be sleeping with their subordinate I don't know I mean she's a hot subordinate but still I just think it almost feels more like it was designed to Taylor Mason Capital is so small. I think theoretically they have other employees, but whenever you see the office in the background, it's always basically empty. It really feels like the company is just these four people. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the on-screen chemistry between Taylor and Lauren is necessarily like that 
compelling, but I do think it's an interesting plot device to be like, what's going to happen to these relationships? Like Sarah, their WAGS analog is just very clearly thrown off by this. Like I, she clearly means it a little bit when she accuses Taylor of being a head fund manager sleeping with an IR girl. And it's implied before this that Sarah has her own romantic feelings for Taylor. So I think that's an interesting direction for it to go in, even if it's not necessarily lived out in the physical relationship between these two characters, if that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely think it's setting up a a conflict between Sarah and Taylor because before this Lauren subplot was introduced, I definitely thought it was the show was moving towards a Sarah Taylor romance and it (laughs) just shouldn't sleep with your employees. I guess that's the bottom line that Billions is trying to remind us all of. Yeah, except for Dollar Bill and Bonnie, who I think are going to ride off into the sunset. They seem really well-matched. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash recap. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash recap. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-E-C-A-P. ZipRecruiter.com slash recap. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It is now time for our favorite segment, the highlight of our weeks, by which I mean the low light, but it's the most scarring moment. And I think we both had a pretty conclusive candidate for this week. It was the cuddling expert who came into the office and cuddled Wags, and he cried like a baby so loud that everyone in the office could hear. And it was painful to watch on my computer screen because. I just never wanted to hear that sound. (laughs) Sam, it's a really odd subplot. I think it's supposed to be Wendy kind of being put back in touch with what she likes to actually be doing when she's not defending her right to do it. She notices that Wags, who has flown in from Miami with a trough full of Joe's stone crab, is a little down and notices that his watch is gone. And he explains that a woman who he thought he had real feelings for basically seduced him and stole it and ran away with it. And he didn't even report it to the police because he was so embarrassed. And she responds by calling in someone she says is like expert at restoring people's faith in humanity. Axe obviously initially assumes she's a call girl. And Wendy clarifies that she is a professional cuddler who releases Wag's emotions by embracing him. And he proceeds to cry his guts out and freak out every other employee of Axe Capital along with everyone watching. And it's terrible. I know you said Spiros could basically be the LVP every week, and I agree. But 
The most depressing character on this show for me is always Wags because his life is just really sad. <laughs> That's and, a, a really hot take for someone I know is very beloved. I'm sure Miles Surrey will have some opinions on this, but he does have a Yosemite Sam tattoo on his ass, so... <laughs> I know a lot of people... I feel like he is familiar to me, like, as much as he's, like, this caricature of this Good Times finance guy, but he just seems really lonely. He's a lonely dude who who cries like a child. Yeah, there's a really great profile of the actor who plays Wags, David Costabile, in GQ, written by our former colleague Sam Shuby, which we will also link Shuby. to in the show notes. Yep, and it is... I think the best part of the profile is that the actor is obviously very aware of all the things that make Wags depraved and sad and sort of hollow as a human being. And yet when he walks around the financial district, like people who actually work in finance idolize him. Because they're broken. (laughs) (laughs) It's just an incredibly telling, you know, people who rooted for Walter White type of situation. Also, David Costaville was on Breaking Bad. Never forget. It's Gail. Just lots of prestige TV crossover. I'm sorry. I need a moment. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just break this news to you? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I never put it together. This is sort of how, like, it took me a while to realize that Dollar Bill was on the Americans, too. Like, Well, Dollar Bill plays a pastor on the Americans, which I think is, like, literally the opposite of who Dollar Bill is, so. Okay, but Wags and Gail are up. Sorry, I'm going to need like 20 moments for that. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll process that after the show. <laughs> okay, well, we'll clear some room for you by moving on to the second most scarring moment, which there always has to be at least one scarring moment on the show involving Chuck Sr., and this week did not disappoint. Um, his presence on the show this week is mostly continuing to conspire with his son to get some sort of illegal sweetheart deal to help finance his new development. Unbeknownst to them, this is now being surveyed by the U.S. Attorney's Office under the leadership of Brian Connerty and with the help of Kate Sacker. But when Chuck Sr. swings by the apartment to start, or I think this is in Chuck Sr.'s apartment, actually, to start negotiating this, he basically just tells Chuck Jr. that, you know, the the infant child that we found out he has recently is, like, really nice, but she'll never measure up to Chuck in terms of bringing him pride. And he basically talks about her like she's, like, a nice, shiny toy. He says she's never asked to perform, never asked to achieve. As long as she merely is, she brings joy, which is just the most condescending way to talk about, like, new life that you have brought into this world. And... Chuck responds to this by asking, what the fuck kind of meds are you on? Which is the proper response. (laughs) That whole storyline is very strange to me. I I guess I just don't like the idea of Chuck Sr. having sex. I don't like to think about it. I agree, but we are also forcefully reminded how much sex he has had and continues to have basically every episode. It's really... Not my favorite attribute of the show, but we put up with it. Do you have any thoughts on the ongoing, like, Chuck Chuck Sr. corruption scandal in the making? Like, do you think it's actually going to bring them down? I mean, it kind of depends how many more seasons Billions is going to run. I don't think it's going to bring them down forever if we have, like, five more seasons or something like that. I've been kind of, like, thrown off by what an escalation it is of Chuck Jr. Like, Chuck is just so corrupt now. I feel like the first and second season, he was still a moral crusader who was certainly not pure by any means, but like 
He seemed to believe his own bullshit, and now it's just like he's gone full-on corrupt. Just the whole ongoing thing of him being willing to very obviously jeopardize everything he has worked so hard for because his dad starts playing the guilt strings is... I don't know. It's weirdly both one of the most psychologically realistic things on the show and also one of the most incredulity-straining things on the show, but maybe that's because my relationship with my dad is much healthier than Chuck's. It does seem like he would be putting up more of a fight. He wouldn't just be acquiescing to his father's demands uh, as easily as he does. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping it sets us up for Chuck really just going completely bad and and maybe Axe and Chuck. Are, it seems like we're we're getting set for like another reversal of, of fortune and Axe taking Wendy from Chuck and maybe, I don't, I don't know. I like to see all the alliances and, and power dynamics shift, but I don't know if it's going to be their downfall or just another bump in the road. So we've already kind of started doing this, but we did have some nits to pick. Mine is pretty minor, but it's just that we're constantly told Lauren, the investor relations guru, is a huge partier who goes out all the time. And that is just not the read I get from her, possibly because we only ever see her in very, like, quiet, austere, Taylor Mason Capital-type spaces. But I don't know. I just, like, don't get crazy club kid vibes. <laughs> yeah, that was strange to me as well. I guess it maybe it's just that I don't really know what, like, a finance partier even looks like nowadays. Maybe they're like Lauren, and she just seems more sophisticated than someone going to, like, one of those nightclubs in the meatpacking district or something. I don't know. Right. Like, I think WAGS definitely reads that way. And Lauren is sort of supposed to be a WAGS-type person, although I guess we're also told this episode that Axe Cap doesn't have an investor relations person right now. So they've been sending out Bonnie. It's like a weird—I feel like that character is is more of a composite of traits we're told about right now than like a fully functioning member of the billions first, although that could obviously like change the longer that she's around. Um, but a bigger question that I wanted to pose to you is just what did you make of Taylor's decision not to testify at the medical board? And were you convinced that that was something the character would do after going to the lengths that they have to bring Wendy down? No, I thought it was very abrupt and was a decision made to serve the purposes of the plot and not the character. Like, it didn't make much sense to me. I actually am curious if anything is even going to come of the medical board now. Like, are we actually going to see Wendy go to it or will it just be resolved off screen? Like, oh, actually, you know, she she made a decision one way or another. I, I, I didn't think it was true to the character or the story arc that they have her on. Yeah, I guess that the implication is that Taylor trusts that Wendy is in a self-loathing enough place or like more of a enough has had enough of a moral reckoning that she would actually choose to incriminate herself and confess in front of the medical board. Like what Taylor's saying, you know, you owe me, but you also owe yourself a lot. And I think what Taylor is saying, what Wendy owes herself is to, you know, cleanse herself of her sins. And I don't know, just coming, like, moments after Taylor is very savvily able to point out, like, yes, it's probably true that, you know, pursuing vengeance against you brings me closer to you, but also, like, this is extremely self-serving and nothing you do comes from a selfless place, so, like, why should I trust you? And to go from that to, you know, you're right, I'm not going to testify against you. I think I need to see how the medical board hearing shakes out first, but it did feel a little convenient. I guess this is kind of getting into predictions, but I don't think Wendy is going to incriminate herself. 
I think she's going to do what she needs to do to keep her medical license. Yeah, is the idea maybe this plot line is Wendy kind of cleansing herself of the last of her conscience, where it's like she just decides to embrace the fact that she is a morally corrupt doctor who doesn't abide by the Hippocratic Oath or and will just, you know, forge ahead doing what she needs to do for Axe Capital. Like, I feel like we're at a crossroads for this character and we don't totally know where she's going yet, although I know you have a prediction for Wendy, which you've already talked about, but segues us into our next segment, which is Axe and Wendy. Yes. Do we ship it? I don't, (laughs) I think ship it is a strong word, but I definitely think it's going to happen. I think the show is laying that groundwork for an ex-Wendy romance, possibly for next season. Like it's going to, they're they're not going to go into a full-blown romance in like the last two episodes, but I, I think it's coming. And I think that part of that is that she is going to fully give herself over to her role in X Capital as a performance coach who will do whatever it takes to make money for the firm. She's not going to give up her medical license. She's going to hang on to it. She's going dark and hooking up with X. Yeah, that's a pretty dark place indeed. I think the relationship between Axe and Wendy has always been what I would describe as an emotional affair. Like, that's always been the subtext of the triangle between Chuck and Wendy and Axe. But I also think, like, from the beginning, when you're dealing with a Showtime show that can run to, like, six, seven, or eight seasons, you know— the leads hook up if you have them around each other for long enough, and especially when they're this close. Yeah, I definitely think this was, this was like, always in the cards. And since we're going into season five, we're hitting the exact point where that would happen in the overall arc of the show. Oh, yeah, we're getting, we're getting it. Like, you don't, you don't have the beautiful Maggie Siff on your show unless you want her to hook up with multiple protagonist or main characters. Yeah, this is true. She's only gotten fake Elon Musk and Chuck, which is... R.I.P. fake Elon Musk. That was a very funny plot line. Something I wanted to talk about was, like, what's in store for the U.S. Attorney's Office. I think, you know, Sacker is just like, I'm not going to cross this line, not because, not really for ethical reasons, but mostly because she's just like, I'm not going to go to jail, and, like, I can see where this is heading. And, yeah, I think we're getting, we're getting close to a, like, Icarus flew too near to the sun moment with Connery just like totally breaking bad and having his like sleazy brother break into Chuck Sr.'s safe to get like legal documentation of whatever weird deal they just struck with Todd Krakow. Oh, I wasn't sure what he was doing with his brother. So that is a good theory. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the end. He literally says, like, oh, I need like the only thing you do with your hands besides fighting and the brother's like there's a safe (laughs) and Connery's like yes so yeah I think like the plan is to retrieve the contract which again like weird decision to have a paper trail but I guess Chuck wanted to make sure that uh Todd Krakow didn't didn't fleece them too hard but yeah like I think something is being set up with Sacker taking over the U.S. Attorney's Office maybe when once Brian's misconduct comes out and I think her, she's, like, always been a really interesting, slightly underutilized character to me, so I'm just, like, looking forward to seeing more from her. That's, like, my prediction for the long run. I could definitely see that. I mean, they're definitely setting Connerty up for a downfall, so. Well, they are having him hang out with this failed Wendy replacement performance coach who, I guess, has shed the shark tooth necklace but is still in the business of yelling at people and gave us one of our great quotes of the week. 
Yes, which was the kamikaze get a bad name because people only want to focus on the suicide. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, oh, it's it should be about the total commitment, which of course led to the suicide. So. Oh, man. Yeah, I've I've been really enjoying what this show is doing with expanding the performance coach universe with, with the professional cuddler and this like janky off-brand guy. Um, I I can only hope they'll bring more on. Yeah, just the way Connerty like knows it's patently ridiculous and yet goes along with it because he desperately needs to toughen up is just so sad. <laughs> but we did have a few more quotes of the week that we can run through while we sort through the mystery of this man's appeal. <laughs> My other favorite quote came from Wags and it did... It really got to the heart of why he is so lovable in addition to so pathetic, which was when he showed up with all the crab, he said that he would only wait online. I appreciated him saying online, too. It was very New York of him uh, for (laughs) for fresh quaaludes, fresh Miami crabs and the chance to meet Ellen DeGeneres, um, which I found very fitting. Like he has the he wags in his heart is like an isolated sort of stay-at-home wife situation. Like, he's just a lonely dude who watches Ellen show and feels a connection. I just feel like he wouldn't have to wait in line to meet Ellen DeGeneres. Like, famous people are very accessible to rich people. That's kind of how they get their own, you know, riches. They just make themselves available. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that, maybe this is setting up an Ellen cameo. Oh, my God. I would die. I don't think this really squares well with Ellen's, like, daytime image, but I can dream. My favorite quotes are mostly just, like, classically Billions, like, overwrought references. Like, Lonnie, the Chuck's former aide at um, SDNY, decides to help or is brought on to help Taylor prep for this meeting. And basically, Lonnie's like, don't worry, I'm no longer, you know— allied with the Rhodeses because I was brought close just to be expelled like Sammy Hagar and Van Halen. <laughs> just not something I believe that character would say in real life, but is, of course, something like any character on Billions would say. And then later, Wendy is kind of upbraiding Chuck for what she sees as giving up and negotiating a deal on her behalf without telling her. And she says, you're doing what magicians call a force, which is one of those like, I am a character on a TV show, and I know I need to explain what this term means for the viewer lines. And Chuck kind of calls her out on it and says, like, well, Penn and Teller ever need a guest judge on Fool Us, you're their man. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, we had a few others. Oh, happy fucking New Year. Why is that when you saying that? <laughs> yeah, Axe just, like, constantly forgetting it's a holiday. The people should actually, you know, normal people are resting and not scheming. It's kind of like that Downton Abbey quote, like, what is a weekend? But <laughs> yeah, for like the opposite reasons. Yeah. <laughs> like with Maggie Smith, it's like, I've never worked, so I don't know what it means to not work. And Axe is just like always on the clock. There's also that motherfucker just went back on my kill matrix. And Wendy says very sincerely, you really shouldn't have one of those. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Wendy, you you have got to confront uh, your complicity here. Just let him have a kill matrix. He's going to have a kill matrix. I would like to see the Kill Matrix. Actually. Yeah, it's very like Arya Stark. I guess it's all just petty, you know, finance people who've pissed him off, like Stephen Birch. But I'm sure there's some like creative, creative names on there. In line with your axe is actually secretly the saddest character, or Wags is secretly the saddest character on the show. Theory, 
There's a moment where Wendy just asks him how young the woman he thinks he fell in love with was. And he goes, doesn't matter. She had an old soul, which Wendy just gives a, like, don't give me that bullshit face. And then Wags admits she's 22, which is just really gross and not a great look. I mean, he got he got his watch stolen out of it. Like, he definitely reaped what he sowed there. But yeah, that I mean, I thought that that was like a very sad throwaway plot for him was like, oh, I just got robbed over the holidays by this like drunken hookup, like just casually thrown in there. I robbed of a family heirloom. Like, I don't know. I feel bad for him. He needs a lot of therapy. He doesn't have any family to spend time with. He actually like got like his memory of his family taken away from him. His replacement family is a pack of rapacious capitalists who only care about what he can give them. Maybe the final shot of Billions is just like wags on a cliff at Esalen, you know? That'd be a, a happier ending for him than than I would predict, honestly. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's probably accurate. But, you know, as we learned on Game of Thrones this week, when series are getting into their final days, they start getting into the wish fulfillment business. So who knows? I think that brings us to a close for the week. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will actually be on the Recapables feed for all three of the final episodes of the season of Billions. You can find us every Sunday on the Recapables feed. Kate, thank you so much for joining me. This was a blast. I had a great time. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.